Has this thought ever crossed your mind as you're reading and studying the Old Testament? It's easy to wonder sometimes as we're studying the Old Testament and think, you know, what in the world, why are we in the Old Testament? It seems so distant from me. A book written separated by thousands of years from what we're going through today. You can't just dismiss the Old Testament. You can't be reading like we are in 2 Samuel. You go, well, you know, David and what he went through and kings and all of those types of things. We're studying through a book that's a thousands of years old because God inspired it up for us to learn. This is amazing grace. This is According to a study by the CDC, close to one out of five women reported an experience that is considered rape or attempted rape. It's one of the most heartbreaking things that could ever happen to a person. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor turns to the disheartening story of Tamar, who was raped by her half-brother. We'll examine the steps that led to this awful period in Tamar's life as our study in 2 Samuel continues. Amnon, the half-brother, had a friend who clearly had an opportunity to help steer him in the right direction, but he chose not to. We get all the details in 2 Samuel 13, and that's where we join Ed now. 2 Samuel chapter 13, it's where we left off, continuing this study in the life of David and his family. It's important to remember that God wants us to take heed to the warnings that he gives us in the scriptures. He wants us to learn from the mistakes of others. He wants us to not so quickly dismiss things in the Bible because you think they're not relevant or they're not important or they happened to people a long time ago. No, the things that are written in the scriptures are written for us. Let me read to you Paul, who knew the Old Testament inside and out being a Pharisee and a student of the Scriptures, listen to what he says. You can just jot it down. I'll read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 says, Now these things, speaking of the things that happened to the children of Israel in the Old Testament, these things happened, they became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and that we don't become idolaters as this were some of them. Because it was written, the women sat down to eat and drink and rose up and play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 people fell. And let us not tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor let us murmur as some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all of these things, listen, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. All of these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition on whom the end of the ages has come. When Paul says that these things were written, he's referring to the Old Testament scriptures, beginning in Genesis and ending in Malachi, what what we call today the Old Testament. 
When we look at our Bibles today, you have the New Testament and the Old Testament. So when Paul says, uh, heed these things that were written, he's talking about the Old Testament. On, On our midweek Bible study, we are studying through the Old Testament, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And it's important that we heed the warnings the children of Israel use this as an example here, and, and he says, don't lust, don't commit idolatry, don't commit sexual immorality, don't tempt Christ, don't murmur, like they did. Look what happened to them. Don't let it happen to you. And we study the Old Testament because it's an important that all Scripture is inspired of God. It's profitable for us. And it's easy to wonder sometimes, as we're studying the Old Testament, and think, you know, what in the world, why are we in the Old Testament? It seems so distant from me. A book written separated by thousands of years from what we're going through today. And it's a challenge for every Bible teacher to take the solid truths of the Scriptures and bring out the teaching of God and then bring application to the current day to to connect the ages. And I believe that's done not by a gifted studier, but by a man or a woman that has the gift of teaching or a man in the pulpit that has the gift of pastor-teacher that is able to study the Scripture, but the Holy Spirit then helps him to connect the dots in someone's life. You can't just dismiss the Old Testament. You can't be reading like we are in 2 Samuel, go, well, you know, David and what he went through and kings and all of those types of things. We're studying through a book that's thousands of years old because God inspired it for us to learn. And may the pastors and leaders that are listening to me right now on the radio get back to teaching the Bible, not from the Bible. Stop wasting your time on using movies and giving out free popcorn and telling people how to stop it and teach the Bible. We need to be discipled. We need to be growing in the truths of God's Word. People are hungry for the Word of God, and instead of giving them the meat of the Word, so many churches today, and again, I'm not saying this in a judgmental way, my heart breaks, because people are hungry. They see a new church in town. They, God's doing something in their life, and so the church is right down the street from them in a school, and they go in there expecting, maybe they're going to help me, and all they're being fed is this rotten cotton candy. And then they're wondering, why isn't anything changing? Well, why aren't I getting closer to God? What is all this about? I didn't come to church to watch some R-rated movie and figure out what it says in the Bible. I came to learn about God. I came to learn about how he sees my life. I came, I came to worship God, to have a power that's outside of myself. And that only comes, friend, by taking in the whole word of God, the whole counsel of God. That, that's, that's where when you're in 2 Samuel, when you're studying through with us, it's important. Jesus put it this way. He said, every man needs to live. Man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the words that proceed from the mouth of God are found in the book in your lap or on your iPad or your phone. The Word of God translated to us in a familiar language. Don't discount the Old Testament. And one of my commitments, of course, to you as a pastor is to teach you the Bible, feed you spiritually, to encourage you, to exhort you, to challenge you, to reveal the Scriptures as a mirror so God can do a work in your heart by the Holy Spirit. And that's why my plan is to teach you the whole Bible. Whether I do that because of time constraints or not, I don't know. But I believe, last time I looked, as a church, we've gone through 28 books of the Bible together. Not all of you are with us during that time, but 28 books in 16 years is not all that bad. Um, but there are 66 of them, so I'm not even halfway yet, and you just need to pray for me, because with introductions like this, we never get anywhere. <laughs> but it's important. It's important. 
So you read and study the scriptures, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, it's important for you to, as you read, to be looking for the examples that Paul's referring to. Look for them in your life. Not just general examples, but the ones specifically for you. Look for the encouragement. Look for the help. Look for things. You say, man, that's crazy. That happened in a family. That looks like my family. And as you start to assess your families and you see maybe some situation in the scriptures that is a messed up family, the Lord should really be speaking to you that it's not, the Bible has already established that messed up family, but it's not too late for you. You're alive, living, and breathing. You can make a change in your family starting with you alone, just you, tonight. You can make decisions that will make you a follower of Jesus Christ and a better disciple of Jesus, which will then impact your family positively. You may not see positive reactions, so don't, be misunderstand, don't misunderstand those. You bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into your home, you are, by default, affecting your home positively. Maybe everybody's flipping out and upset with you. That's only a proof that the gospel has come into your home. And you know what? Our homes need to be filled with the gospel. They need to be built upon the rock of Jesus Christ. We need to heed the warnings that God has given to us. And as we're learning, listen, it's been said that experience is the best teacher. And I I believe that's true. There's much to be said about experience being a wonderful teacher. But listen, it doesn't have to be your own personal experience. You don't have to experience every failure in order to go, you know what, I don't want to fail like that again. That was really painful. You can learn it from the scriptures or for someone else. It's so much like as our parents, Marie and I, as I was raising my kids, as, as they were growing up, even still, I'll be raising my kids even at the age that they are now. I tell my kids all the time, you don't have to experience the things that I went through. Because we told our kids our testimony as early as an age they could handle it. And in every age, we'd give them a little bit more. And it'd give them a little bit more of the horrific life that I lived in sin. And, and all the consequences that came with that. Painful con- you look at You look at our life today and you're just like, man, this is, I, have, I love my life in the Lord. But I'm telling you, before I knew Jesus, it was not good. It's not good for my marriage, not good for my son. Not, you know, unfortunately, my son Josh and Caitlin, they were born into a Christian home, but not poor Eddie. He had to deal with those early years with messed up parents and messed up lives. And if it wasn't for God intervening in my life, Uh, we wouldn't be here today. It's just the way it is. So I've taught them. I wasn't hiding my life from them. But then when you begin to compare where we are today with where we were and you start hearing a testimony, there's always that temptation, oh, you know what, it won't be that bad for me, Dad. It won't be that bad for me. Like, I won't make, you know, know, they won't say this, but they're like, yeah, you were really dumb. I'm not that dumb. (laughs) But you know what made me dumb was sin. I mean, I did make serious mistakes, but sin wrecked my life. You start dabbling with sin, you start playing with snakes, you're gonna get bit. You start playing with fire, you're gonna get burned. And you start playing with sin, and you will be destroyed. Don't fool yourself. The pages of scripture are filled with both people that have been destroyed by sin and people that have been rescued from sin. And you want to be, and I want to be, the latter. Now, With that in mind, chapter 13 is a horrific chapter in the life of David's family and in the life of a woman by the name of Tamar. And it begins, now after this, it was so that Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick 
for she was a virgin, and it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. And that's correct. It was improper for Amnon to do anything sexually to his sister because there's a word for that, incest. Incest is forbidden by the scriptures. And it's, he's getting himself sick over this. Now, before we move on anymore, be careful with the word where it says in verse 1, Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Be careful with that word. Just mark it and keep it in mind as we get back to it uh, because this isn't love as you might think it's love. And so verse 3 says, Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? And Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. So Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in my sight and I may see it and eat it from her hand. Then Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, please let Tamar, my sister, come and make a couple of cakes for me in my sight that I might eat from her hand. Amnon is the oldest son of David, born in the city of Hebron. Absalom is his second son. And we open up chapter 13 to Amnon. What it's recorded for us to hear is love. But if you like to write in your Bibles, you can just circle that word loved in verse 1 and write next to it lust. Because what we're seeing here is not true love, it's lust. He's lusting after his sister sexually, wanting to have sexual intercourse with his own sister. He's lusting. It's not love. Our English language is weak when it comes to our words because love can mean so many different things. In the Greek language, it's a very flowery language. In the Hebrew language, it's a very specific language. But in the English, love can mean lots of things. I'm certain you've used loved in ways that were very unique. For example, if you have a a meal that you like at a restaurant and you keep going back to that and after you, you go to that restaurant that evening hungry and you have your favorite meal, on the way home you might say, I just love that restaurant. And that would be an appropriate thing to say. I love going there. I love the atmosphere. I love the food. I love the waitress that, that is always there serving us and the chef back there always comes back and says hello. I, I love that restaurant. And, and then as you turn the corner and you're driving there and you went to dinner with your son, you, you just kind of feel a sense where you want to look to your son and you go, you know what, son? I love you. You're a good son. And I think you mean that. You, you love the attributes of your son. You love the privilege of having a son. You look at him and you say, I love you. And then you, in marriage, might look at your wife in a loving way and say, I love you, and she picks up on the sign, and there's a sense of intimacy that only it can be shared in a marriage, and you would mean that as well. And there are actually different words. You might look to, on a, and additionally, you might be at work, and you have a coworker you've worked with for, for 30 years, and you've just worked with them, and you've been through the ups and downs and all the mergers and acquisitions, and, and you just want to express your appreciation, and you are so close that you would just look at your coworker and just say, I love you. I love working with you. Now, you could say that, but those words of love are, you mean something very, di- I hope you mean something very different with each one. You can't possibly love your child like you love ice cream or like a restaurant. You can't possibly love your, you, if you do, you need to come up after the service. The prayer team will be here and, and we will help you. And in, in, in the Greek language, 
you know, there are different words, like phileo is a word for love. It's that kind of friendship love. It's the love you would have said to your friend at work. And there's the love, there's a Greek word in, uh, that refers, that's translated love, that is eros. That's an erotic type of love. That's what Amnon is doing here. It's not the kind of love that another type is mentioned in the scriptures. It's called agape. That's the kind of love that comes from God. It's the kind of love that comes from God and through his followers. It's the type of love that even when you don't want to love, you love because God is loving through you. It's a part of the spirit of God inside of you. True love is always other-centered, not self-centered. And so much of what the world calls today uh, love and romance and is not at all. It's self-centered. It's lust. It's not love. And I would just say to you ladies, and in some cases you men these days, if you're in a relationship with someone and they are constantly pressuring you for sex and you're hearing them say, you've got to have sex with me, you know, and if you really loved me, you would, that is a person that doesn't care for you. They are only expressing their own selfish care for themselves. Not only are they telling you to commit a sin against God, but they're also telling you to commit a sin against yourself for their own personal satisfaction. It's only being expressed from self-centered demands and manipulation. That person is only thinking of themselves because true love is always other-centered, not self-centered, and God's love is a true love. It's a giving love. It's a love that cares more about someone else than themselves. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave, not that he took. Love motivates giving and expressing that, not taking. And be careful. You notice, too, this whole scenario is coming up, and Amnon has a friend. His name is Jonadab, and just don't miss verse 3. He was a very crafty man. In times of weakness... In times of sin, maybe, maybe you're having bad thoughts, bad sexual thoughts, or you're, you're just angry, or you're wanting to divorce your spouse, or you're just struggling, just struggling. The last person you want to ask advice from is some, from some fleshly, crafty person. You just know this guy, this guy is giving advice not for Amnon. He's not expressing love to Amnon because somebody that would have loved his friend would have said, dude, don't do it. You're going to disgrace your dad. You're going to disgrace your brother. But of more than anything, you are going to crush and ruin a girl's life. But he's a crafty guy. You want to be careful with your friends. You want to be careful with the people you surround yourself with. Do you know what happens with people that hang out with crafty, manipulative people? They become one. Oh, Ed, that would never happen to me. Well, then you are stronger than the Bible. The Bible says that evil company corrupts good habits. And that's what's happening here. He could have been rescued. And you know, David's not innocent here either. David is known for his wisdom, known for his power and insight, known for his ability to lead and recover from mistakes, as we saw in Psalm 51. But you'll notice something in David's life. He seemed to lost his spiritual edge. By ordering Tamar to obey her half-brother's wishes, he sends her down a path of pain and humiliation. And he could have stepped in and protected his daughter, but he didn't. He's lost his spiritual edge. What happened with Bathsheba hurt him. 
He's suffering, as we've seen this phrase that's really new to me. It's been something that I've, the, the consequences of forgiven sin. The for consequences of forgiven sin. Because there is that sense sometimes with believers, especially in a fellowship like ours, that like the Bible does, we emphasize the grace of God and the love of God. We emphasize his healing hand and his willingness to, re, to, to receive the prodigal. But unfortunately, as you teach the grace of God, people misunderstand that. They misinterpret that, and they interpret it in such a way, well, I can sin because God will forgive me. That actually is a true statement. God will forgive you by the finished work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. That actually is true, but it's not intended to motivate you to go sin. It's not intended just to tell you, you know, God is loving and caring, and he'll receive you because of his love, so go ahead and do whatever you want. That's not what the Bible teaches. As a matter of fact, Paul even anticipated that when he was writing to the Romans, when he said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? His answer was, certainly not. And David is a great example of that. While he failed greatly, and while, how God received him, and God forgave him, he still lived with the consequences, which can be very painful. Verse 7. David does send home to Tamar, saying, Now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was laying down. She took flour, kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cake. She had no idea. No idea what was up ahead. She took the pan, placed them out before him, but he refused to eat. Then Amnon said, Have everyone go out from me. And they all went out from him. And then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made, brought them to Amnon, her brother, in the bedroom. Verse 11. Now when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. And she answered him, No, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. And I, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, he would not heed her voice, and being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. And, and if, again, if you like to write in your Bibles, it's just, I have it written down here next to forced. He raped her. He raped her. He forcibly had sex with his own sister. Verse 15. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly. So that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Arise, be gone. And she said to him, No, indeed, this is evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. And he called, verse 17, his servant who attended him and said, Here, put this woman out, away from me, and bolt the door behind her. Now she had on a robe of many colors, for the king's virgin daughters wore such apparel and his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. And then Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her robe of many colors that was on her and laid her head, hand on her head and went away crying bitterly. This was the outward expression of mourning. She was mourning and in grief of the condition of her life. Verse 20, Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. You know, the consequences of sin don't just affect you. They have far-reaching effects to the people that are close to you, as you see in this horrible, horrible situation in Tamar's life. She's suffering the consequences of her brother's sin. It's just awful to think that Tamar would be taken advantage like that by her half-brother of all people. 
We'll hear the rest of the story on Monday's Abounding Grace. This message was taken from Pastor Ed Taylor's study of 2 Samuel, and you can hear it again through our website at calvaryaurora.org. Or purchase a CD copy for just $2 by calling 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Sometime today, download the Calvary Aurora and Grace FM Colorado apps and listen and learn to more great Bible teaching wherever you go. Do a search for Calvary Aurora. Just think what would happen if we prayed how Jesus taught us to. No doubt we'd be more bold and persistent. This month, we're pleased to offer you an excellent book written by Manny Mill called Radical Prayer. In it, you'll get a glimpse at the power of prayer according to God's will. And I think you'll be left encouraged to pray more expectantly with persistence and boldness. We'll send this to you with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more. Here at Abounding Grace, we're thankful to the Lord for the opportunity to share the word all over the country. But we can't do it without the support of our listeners. If you'd like to stand with us, please call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or turn to calvaryaurora.org. Pastor Ed Taylor picks up what we left off in our study of 2 Samuel next time on Abounding Grace. Set aside another half hour to join us for more Bible study and application. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my prayers. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Abounding Grace with Ed Taylor is presented by Calvary Chapel, Aurora.